This is a Crestview Bible Podcast. For more information, visit crestviewhutch.org. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And this in your Bible, you'll see that it's talking about this titled, um, I believe it says, The Sinful Woman Forgiven. But actually, when I want to really point out that Jesus is going uh, to this Pharisee's house, not to serve the woman, but to serve Simon. And as we get started, before I pray, I want you to think about a couple things uh, in contrast and think about your opinion of them. I'll give you a few real quick uh, lighthearted things and then maybe some things that um, might have a little bit of conflict on your soul. Uh, If you think about whether you're a cat or dog lover, which one you might like better, which one you might enjoy or which one you might hate, or maybe you're just not an animal lover at all. Um, Maybe you like the Chiefs or the Bears. I don't know. You can think about that a little bit. There's only really one Bears fan that is totally um, committed to them in this audience today. Uh, And we love him, by the way. I love him dearly, uh, Brian Thiessen. So so, um, he, he still has the effect of the daunting curse of Aaron Rodgers, even though he's down and out. So... Um, we're going to pray and we're going to get into God's word here real quick, but I want you to think about those things, but really I want you to think about maybe these real quick, uh, homosexuality and heterosexuality. Would you think about, um, let's think about this here for a minute. Think about pro-life and pro-choice. What are your thoughts on those types of topics? What are your thoughts about drunkenness and sobriety or, um, gay marriage versus, a holy matrimony before God. I want you to think about those as we pray and then we get into God's word. God, I thank you for the time here this morning, uh, the humbling experience to be able to just share what you've put on my heart. Um, God, the weight of your word is unbearable without the love and grace that you've given us. Your truth has such an impact on our soul uh, that we desperately need you. The chasm is too wide, the mountain is too tall, and we have no hope in you unless we have you. And so, God, I pray that you do calm my nerves this morning. Uh, it is Give me the joy of your salvation uh, to preach your forgiveness and your love to all of us. And, God, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read the word, and as always, I'll say thanks be to God. Or what do we say? This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I think that's how we open up. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Now I'm going to be reading, uh, I'll stop at verse 43, and we'll do that. So here we go. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. This is Jesus, by the way, had it been asked to, to dinner. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman it is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. 
And he answered and said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender with two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When he could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. All right, we got that, that down. So I want to set a little bit of the context of what's going on here in Scripture, as I have a runny nose. Uh, previously in the chapters before this, we can see that Jesus is constantly interacting with the Pharisees. And the reality is that some think that Simon here is curious, that he's um, just trying to figure out who Jesus is. But the reality is, throughout the past scriptures, you will see that they have a disdain and distaste for Jesus. They question him on his authority as the Son of Man to forgive sins. They question him on his ability to heal and do the miraculous. And the reality is, Jesus is a fanatical. Jesus is a radical. Jesus is not just rocking the boat. Jesus is turning the boat over, dumping the Pharisees in the water, and they are drowning in confusion. And so the reality is that Simon is waving a white flag before Jesus, asking him to come over to, himself, to his house for a time of entertainment. The reality is here that the Pharisees, after they would teach in the temple, they would come together and gather at the house, and they would have dinner with one another. And it's not like a table in our house, but they would lay down and recline on a couch, like a spoke on a tire, where their feet would be at the end and their head would be toward the table. And this was to cool them in the midst of the day, because after all, they didn't have air conditioning. And so Jesus is doing this, and this woman comes, and the Bible tells us that she is guilty. And it's obvious that she's guilty. The first response that I have there, how do we respond to guilt when we face Jesus and the disruption of our party? When Jesus disrupts your party, in other words, when Jesus steps into your life, how do you respond and so the reality here is the Bible is telling us this woman is guilty. It's obvious. It says she is a, a woman of the city, a sinner. Simon says, who is this woman who is unclean before Jesus touching him? Jesus, in fact, even calls her a sinner by comparing her to one with a debt. And so she's coming to Jesus with her guilt. How does she respond to her guilt? And I think it's one of the things we need to understand, the reality of what guilt is. I think we think of guilt as the way we might feel of shame or, or remorse for something. But no, guilt is the fact that you are guilty that you have offended someone, you have done something wrong, and you are found guilty. And so this woman is guilty of her sin. Now it says she is a sinner. And she's coming to Jesus, and this isn't just the common sins that we think of. There's a book out there by Jerry Bridges who talks about uh, respectable sins. No, these are heinous sins. Most commentaries will tell you that this woman 
described as a sinner, is a prostitute. And if you imagine in this time what it means to be a prostitute, just as it is today, this woman has been so filthy, so unclean, and dejected and rejected by the common people, let alone the religious that she's before. In that day and time, now, at this dinner table, the courtyard was open, and you could come, and, and you could hear the, the, the Pharisees preach and teach and have conversation among one another and talk to scholarly theology and opinions and, and the laws of the land that they were to live and abide by. And this was their for, form of entertainment. And the reality is that, uh, you know, they didn't have any TV. And so this is what they'd come and do. they listened listen to the Pharisees talk. These were prominent people. And this was the way that they learned the Word of God. They learned how to live and how to respect God. But women weren't invited to such a thing. This was a men's only type of club. Women weren't respected in this time. And it's pretty awesome that Luke points to how Jesus uses the least of these, even women in our lives, like my wife, to tell me when I'm wrong. But this woman is coming, and she has, and, and the Pharisee Simon here is like, you, how does this woman, who is a sinner, so unclean, so holy, have the audacity to enter our presence? And I want to I point out here real quick that Jesus welcomes without judgment. Jesus is coming to the Pharisee's house, who is against him, who is waving a white flag, but really pointing a gun, trying to shoot down his character and the truth of, he is, of who he is. But Jesus is there with Simon, having a meal with him, even though Simon is against him. So not only is he open to Simon, he's open to this woman coming. Notice that Jesus doesn't do anything when this woman comes. Now she responded to her guilt in three ways. I want to lay them out for you real quick. She, she went to Jesus with her guilt. She acted on her guilt and she submitted to her guilt. And the reality is that her guilt was so heinous and left her in a, a, a place of hopelessness and despair that she didn't know what to do. I mean, imagine this woman. And, and the reason we're talking about guilt so much here is because I think we don't understand the offense we have before a holy and righteous God. This woman's sin was so grievous as a prostitute and the problem is, a lot of times when we see people in sin, by the way, we don't know their story. But whatever her story is, whatever the tragedy, whatever her, her problem, she is so unclean. Imagine this. I mean, if she is a prostitute, if she slept with one man a day, every day of the week, that's seven men. If she slept with a man every day for the year, that's 365 men. That is why Simon is dejecting her and rejecting her of coming into their holy presence and touching Jesus. But she responded to her guilt by coming to Jesus. Now, how did Simon respond? It's interesting here. 
What did Simon do with his guilt? Simon, obviously, he doesn't see any guilt. He sees himself as a holy one, a righteous one. We hear the term self-righteous a lot, and we kind of shrug at it. Self-righteousness is the fact that we think that we are superior and holier and right than others. We think that our opinion is higher than that of another. We think that our acts are better than that of others. We think that, that our truth is better than the truth of God. And that's what Simon is saying here. That his ways are better than God's ways. And so he deflects his guilt on the woman in judgment. And how does he judge? He says, how, how, first of all, he judges Jesus, and then he judges the woman. And there's folly in that because he says that, this, that Jesus, if he were a prophet, I want you to notice that, and we'll get to it in a minute, that if he were a prophet, he would not allow this woman in the presence or the company of Jesus. I was asked the other day, I was talking about missions. Actually, I'll just say I was talking to Luke. <laughs> We're talking about missions. Uh, and why is it that the American church seems to be dying and so many other countries around the world seem to be exploding and igniting with the gospel? And I think to answer in part to that question is, not that the church is dying, but in some sense, the church is filled with a bunch of dead people. In other words, almost Christians. You see, just like Simon, who is a man of self-righteousness, thinking he is superior Sundays could be said to be one of the most self-righteous days of the week. Why do I say that? Because we, we get up, we get dressed, we get cleaned, we come to church, we praise and worship the Almighty God, we put on a face, and we allow people to examine ourselves to think we're really better than who we truly are. And we leave on a Sunday and we go home and we have not the presence of God in our life. Now, I don't say that to judge anyone because the truth is we are, as a Christian, struggling in this life with sin. But for Simon, Simon is an unsaved man. And if the church is filled with dead people who are unsaved, they are in the midst of the presence and reflection of Simon. That is who they are. Many people come to church to be superior in their walk of life. And we see this because Simon has no compassion, no love for this woman. And so how do we respond to our guilt, or in other words, our offense, 
make it more clear. Our sin, the things we do wrong in thought, word, and deed toward a holy and righteous God. Like I said, the woman went to Jesus. She acted and she submitted. You see, you can rest in your guilt and shame and hopelessness. And I want to point out that I do care in the people who are suffering. This woman was suffering. She felt hopeless. And Jesus isn't judging her, by the way. Jesus is there to remind her that she is forgiven. But the truth is, is that we, we need to see the guilt of our sin, and the reality is we often miss it. And we waller, or we waller in our sin and our self-petty and our victimization of this happened to me and I could never get over it, but we never take it to Jesus. Jesus can't help you if you don't lay it at the foot of the cross. You have to come to him and realize the grace that he has to offer. And that's the second response when Jesus disrupts your life. How do you respond to the grace of God? Now, I think, again, we have a very fickle understanding of the grace of God. And I think we need to define it a little more than what we might believe it to be. I take my definition in part from a book called The Gospel Transformation, uh, but I kind of edited it and changed it. The grace of God is God's blessing through Christ to people who deserve God's wrath and judgment. And only when we can understand that our offense to God is so heinous and deserving of the judgment of God can we see and understand the love and forgiveness of God. And the reality is here that she has been overcome with God's grace She's running to Jesus in her guilt. She has heard about God. She's maybe talked to God, she, to Jesus himself, and maybe had an encounter. And the reality is she has been saved by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Because she saw her guilt, she understood it, and she took it to Jesus. When it comes to the grace of God, there's two avenues in which we folly a lot of times, and we think it's discredited. One is that, like Simon, who was trying to keep rules and regulations and, and laws upon laws upon laws that were works that he thought would gain him favor with his heavenly Father, we too think that because we come to church and we sit in the pews and we sing songs and we pray amongst men to a heavenly Father in the presence of many, that we have the grace of God. And we go and we sin and we say, well, it's, I, I prayed with Jesus and, you know, I, I, I can sin. It's okay. It's not that bad that I, you know... Um, cheated on my wife or you looked at pornography and 
And the point isn't that we struggle with the sin. The point is that we don't really care that we're sinning. And so when we can understand the depth and the gravity and the offense of our sin before a holy and righteous God and the judgment we deserve, can we see and truly appreciate the love he has for us? And what is this love? The love is that Jesus said, I will take the punishment. I will take the blame. I will lay at the foot of the cross and suffer and die in their place so that they could be made righteous and holy before you. Jesus' love is so great and so vast. We could never understand it. Yet, we take it for granted. The other part of God's grace, and this is why I love being an intern, because anything I say, Phil can fix for me next Sunday, but is that we cheapen God's grace. And I'm not saying that we can't simply come and believe in Jesus, but the reality is, is that we we just claim we have the grace of God and we live life however we deem fit for us. Just like Simon. Just like the other Pharisees. Well, let's pick up here in verse 44. I don't know where we're at on time. I didn't bring my phone or have a clock in the back. So verse 44, we're going to look some more, and it says this, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Now, remember, Jesus, or Simon was coming and waving a white flag uh, to Jesus to get him to come to his house, really looking to find an offense that he has created for himself so he could judge his character. And so Jesus is getting ready to definitely disrupt the party. The woman's already there, and Simon doesn't know what to do, but Jesus does. And so Simon deflected his guilt, and then he rejected God's grace. And Simon is in a conundrum that he is not going to be able to get out of. You say, well, what are you talking about? Think about this. Simon invited him over. And when this woman come, he comes, he says, if this man were a prophet. And this is just getting into the depthness of our own sin. But when Jesus says, I have something to say to you, he says... Say it, teacher. See, he recognized and he declared that Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi, a prophet of the word of God. But in his heart, Jesus knew that he was lying. He did not believe and see Jesus to be who he really was, the Son of God. And so that brings us back to on a Sunday morning when we worship God. We might profess Him, 
but yet we are lying. And you say, well, why are we, how can you say, how can I be of, how can you, how dare you say that I'm not worshiping and a lover of Jesus Christ and I reject him? I'm here, I'm singing, and I'm getting ready to show you in your heart, just as God did to Simon here in this text. So let's pick it up in verse 44. And he said to Simon, turning to the woman, notice Jesus is turning to look at the woman and talk to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You have gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has ceased to kiss my feet. Do you, not anoint my, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, I bet a lot of you are thinking, what about this parable that Jesus laid out to Simon, and Simon got the correct answer? The reality is both Simon and this woman were hopelessly in debt to Jesus. Though the woman's sins were great and grievous before God, she could understand that because God's grace has been so good to her in forgiveness, she could love him much. But she already had, I want to point out, the grace of God before she came to Jesus. Jesus is taking this woman and exalting her to be the honored guest of this party. And now the gun that Simon had pointing at Jesus is pointing at him, and Jesus pulls the trigger. And it's a shot, and it's straight in the heart of everything that Simon claims to believe. It tears down every barrier, every law, every man-made thing of righteousness and goodness that Simon tries to do to find pleasure and to appease God. Simon cannot stand before God. The third response that we have to Jesus when he disrupts our party is that of gratitude. Do we respond in gratitude? And I think this is what makes it so evident that this woman is a believer as she comes to Jesus. You see, she had nothing to offer our Savior. Nothing to offer but her sin. And as we see that she came to Jesus, she acted on, on her guilt and she submitted her guilt before Jesus. It was a show of gratitude. 
the magnitude of her gratitude on a Richter scale was so large it could not measure. It couldn't be measured. Well, what do you mean? The fact that not, it's not just that this woman was a sinner, a heathen of a sinner at that, but this woman came destitute, broken, and abused, rejected by her society, her criminal friends, her prostitute sisters, because she is going to a place where most sinners don't go without the grace of God. She is going to Jesus, regardless of how she is judged, what is she to be looking like, in the midst of a society and culture that already rejects women. And so she's leaving her comfort of her friends, and then she's going to enter a place of desert, a no-man's land where she is going to face ridicule and persecution and be looked at in ways that would kill someone because of the hatred in her heart, in, in their heart, not her heart, for her. How could this woman come to Jesus? Because she understood her sin by the grace of God, and she's seen the forgiveness of her sins and the holiness and forgiveness of Jesus. And she didn't care what others, others thought. She didn't care how people looked at her. She didn't care how people judged her. She realized she was a sinner in the hands of an angry God. But she also realized that there was an infinite amount of love and forgiveness in Jesus. You notice that at the end here, it says in verse 49, Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Notice Jesus didn't say, Your love for me has saved you. Go in peace. We all know that we are saved by grace through faith. Not of ourselves, not on our own doing, not anything that we could boast in, but by the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, to show up in our lives, to open our eyes and our heart and our ears to hear the truth of who we are and who He is. So she responded in gratitude. And how did Simon respond? Totally opposite. Which brings us back to his selfish, self-righteous judgment in the beginning. You see, Jesus welcomed without judgment, and this woman came, and he, Simon judged and in his heart, just like us, I would imagine that we would judge this woman also. Just like the topics I brought up, everyone had an opinion 
And it may have even been a right opinion. It may have even been truth that Simon spoke, this woman was a sinner. But what was missing was the mercy, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So no matter how right Simon truly was, he would always be wrong. Because he didn't see this woman, just as we struggle to see others through the eyes of Jesus. And so the third response of gratitude, we see Jesus strike Simon to the heart, and Simon self-condemns himself, brings self-condemnation. He said, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Now, I don't have time to get into all this, but I do want to make this point real quick that Jesus does contrast oil, which is something that would smell good. It's as, as Jesus would come and he didn't greet him with a kiss. It'd be like if, we were to, if I were to come to your house for supper and you invited me, um, but I showed up and you just kind of gave me a weird look and you didn't even say anything. You pointed the food over there. You didn't give me a handshake. You didn't take my coat. And then you just ignored me the entire time. In fact, Jesus was cool with that because he just wanted free food. <laughs> Not really. He was there for Simon. But the ointment was used in those times to heal the cracks on a person's feet. See, this woman realized that Jesus had healed her. And so when we come to church and we say we love Jesus and we profess to be a believer, we profess to love Jesus, where's the gratitude? Where's the gratitude for his grace? Where's the gratitude for his love? Where's the gratitude for his death? Where's the gratitude from his salvation, for his salvation? You say, well, I come to church. I do want to make a point here very clear. It's not the actions that the woman is serving Jesus. It's the fact that the woman is in love with Jesus. She realized Jesus loves her. And she wants to love him back. This passage has changed probably my life. Oh, to be broken over our sin, to realize I so do not love Jesus for the grace that he's poured out on me. And I can do nothing but what this woman does is go to the feet of Jesus and beg for his forgiveness and realize that I have been made righteous. There's no condemnation in his sight because he has rescued me from the depravity of my sin and hopelessness. He brings not just life, not just a better life, but he has transformed me. He, I am born again. He has made me new. 
Have you been transformed in your life by the love of Jesus? And I don't ask that as a question to judge you. I ask that as a question to, like, you need Jesus. Because he's the only one that can give you the hope and the joy in the midst of your sin and your trials and the pain of your life. Can you see the love of Jesus? Jesus desperately wanted Simon to see him, but he couldn't. Jesus says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. The love of Jesus gives us a peace in the bounds of his mercy and love that we will never be able to fully grasp or obtain the benefit of. You notice Simon isn't in the picture anymore once he answers Jesus' question rightly. I've always wondered, after studying this passage, what happened to Simon? Did he become a believer? Did he continue to reject his guilt and live in his self-righteous superiority over others, his critical spirit? Or did he see the love and grace of Jesus Christ to change his life forever?